Either you have a brand promise that makes you different or you have the positioning that makes you different because that's how you stick in the minds of audiences. And we need to remember that brands live in the minds of a person. And we are back for series three of Transformation Stories from the award-winning Beltec Cafe. This series, we're talking innovation, commerce, emotive marketing, and career changes. We'll also dip into trends in fintech, digital health, retail, mobility, manufacturing, and speak to CEOs, CDOs, SMEs, and lots of other acronyms too. As always, you can expect gloriously unscripted discussions that shed an open and transparent light on the ebb and flow of our digital world. I'm Tizzy Philp, and welcome to the podcast. What are the key elements of a brand transformation? What should you consider before you embark on that change? How can you measure that impact? And how can you ensure that the result enables your business to continue to thrive? In today's conversation, I'm joined by Rosie Kropp, VP Global Head of Brand Marketing at multinational telecommunications firm Ericsson. Responsible for Ericsson's global brand portfolio, Rosie is tasked with creating and implementing strategies to build brand preference and brand awareness and supporting business growth across more than 180 markets. She is a board professional, executive coach, speaker and lecturer at communication and business schools, as well as an international conferences and events, and is also Dean of the Media Academy for Can Leon School. So a very broad and wide uh, experience there. Before joining Ericsson, Rosie was Senior Advisor and CEO at Lavendale and has held senior leadership positions at blue chip companies, including Vodafone, Accenture, Starbucks, Kraft, DDB, and Lander Associates. So who better to help us navigate this conversation than Rosie? And a very warm welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi, Tisi, and thank you so much for having me today. I've just given a brief or quite detailed introduction there to your experience, which is vast. But it would be great to hear more from you, Rosie, about your work to date and what it is that drives you when it comes to branding and indeed these long-term brand transformations. Yes, where should I start? I I think I need to go back a bit. What drives me is definitely a passion for branding. And I had that for a long time through my entire career, which now spans more than 25 years. If I'm looking back, it has always been about building brands and building businesses with the brand. But it's also very much about driving change, driving transformation, and specifically because the brand is such a valuable asset when you drive any transformation. That has been the red thread, I would say, throughout all my different experiences. If I look at also what I'm doing now, I would say that the reason why I joined Ericsson is also because of a brand transformation where we were supposed to put the brand more in driver's seat, also work much more brand-led across the organization. And as you know, Ericsson is a fine brand with a fantastic heritage, almost 150 years old. So that was also a challenge that I couldn't resist. So I think that being part of, of such an exciting new transformation was definitely why I jumped on this ship a couple of years ago. And I often say that my motto is around thriving. I want to make brands, but also people thrive. I'm a certified coach and uh, I've always been very passionate about leadership and coaching. So 
from that perspective, it's not only about branding, but it's also about people because people is a very important part of driving any transformation. Wonderful. Well, it's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining this episode. There's obviously lots for us to cover. So let's get straight into the crux of the conversation. You've said before that a company's brand is their most valuable asset. What do you mean by that? That's a very good question. And I sometimes got asked as well, even internally, uh, why do you say that a brand is such a great asset and what does it actually mean? I think the way I would explain it is starting off that a brand could definitely be the most valuable asset on your balance sheet. If you start from that perspective, it's also easy to understand that if you do it well, you will actually enable a much higher value on the stock market for your brand if you are a listed company, but also for any company to have a huge intangible asset as a valuable brand is important. So I would always start from that point that it is such an important and valuable asset and you need to treat it in that way. You need to treat it in a way that you build it constantly, that you nurture it, that you make sure that it's also top of the agenda for the leadership team as well as the board. And also that you understand that a brand is all about touch points, 360 degree perspective, that you can't just build the brand in one area. You need to build it across in any single way that you touch as a customer. So I think it's sometimes easy to look at a brand maybe as a friend uh, or a person, because the way we look at brands today is actually our favorite brands is like a favorite person. And brand is very much around promises. So whatever promise you would make, you need to keep that promise. That is also how you build a very strong brand. And also brand definitely impacts any performance of the company. So again, a strong brand will also help you to drive growth and also business performance. So from that point of view, I definitely think this should be a top agenda point on the conversation for any leadership team or any board and make sure that you treat your brand as the valuable asset it is. When does it become necessary, in your opinion, for a brand to undergo a transformation in that case when it's so important to a business? Does a brand transformation come from a place of strength or weakness in your view? Does it come because it needs to happen because something's going wrong or does it become because there's an opportunity to make things even stronger? I think there's a number of different reasons. I've been, as I mentioned, fortunate enough to work with a huge variety of brands through my career and many of those has been through a brand transformation. So I've seen different things. I would say one can be around competition. You might be in a landscape that changes very quickly. So there's a need for you to transform and actually take your brand to a new place because of this. It could be completely different market conditions, could be disruption happening in your industry, for example, or it could be that you are actually changing audiences or adding new audiences to your brand portfolio. And that might actually drive a new way of behaving towards those audiences. It could, of course, be an M&A uh, acquisition that happens and you might have two companies that becomes one. That is very often a reason for brand transformation. But it can also be around new products, new offerings, or worst case, something happens to you around your brand reputation and that needs something new to come out of that, meaning transformation is necessary because of that point. So it can actually be a huge variety of different things. 
So it doesn't have to come always from a weakness. It can actually come from a place of strength. Because if you are already a strong brand, but let's say you buy another company, that could make you want to change to make sure that you incorporate that new brand. So it doesn't have to be from a weakness point. What do you need to start with then when you start to undergo a brand transformation? Let's talk about some of the things that you need to consider and where you need to start. What's the guiding principles for you? How do you begin to know how to approach a transformation of that scale? My advice would be to start with a strong vision. What do you want to achieve? Where is the direction? Starting from that point, a purpose, absolutely. Something that guides uh, your organization and also guide where you want to be for the future. A promise, like I mentioned, a brand promise is a critical part of, of any brand, but also to have a good solid brand strategy. I think that is the starting point. And those elements is definitely part of that brand strategy. I would also say that when you do a transformation, you might be tempted to start with some specific area. But again, you need to have a very holistic approach to a transformation. And it's all about connecting all the different dots here. A transformation is a huge project. You need to have the right resources to actually drive the transformation, but you also need to take that holistic approach for what do you want to achieve and when do you want to achieve it and how. So those questions are important because that is also how you get your organization going. They need to be inspired by the change. And as we know, we are all humans. We tend to resist change. So with that being said, to get people on this transformational journey they need to understand why I should be on this journey and that end goal. And also to get a good understanding of what's my role on this journey. And the end goal should always be to make this brand thrive, no matter if it's the brand you had before that is going through a transformation or if you even rebrand yourself and comes out a new brand or a new logo or something new. So I think these are the kind of key elements in a transformation that sometimes doesn't really get enough time or get the attention that is needed because you start to go in a, a kind of here and now direction. So connecting the dots, the big holistic approach, but attention to details. It's very much about details when you do big brand transformation. We're going to go on to talk about the differences of brand transformation in terms of internal view, how you get your employees on board, how you make a brand thrive internally, but also from an audience perspective, how this appears, this rebrand can appear and serve the needs of your audiences as well. But you've mentioned there a few times making a brand thrive. How do you know if a brand is thriving? What are your kind of KPIs to tell you whether or not this brand is indeed thriving? That's an excellent question, TC. And I think that's the question that everyone will ask beforehand. How do I know if my brand is thriving? There's a number of things that you can, of course, measure. And I think metrics is important. But when it comes to brand, I sometimes get asked, what's the ROI of this? And what is the KPIs, etc.? If you look at the normal brand metrics and also how you can connect them back to if a brand is thriving or not, it's all about, I think, the brand strategy, coming back to how do you want to be perceived? What's your brand positioning? Are you a brand that people are aware of? That means the brand awareness. You probably always want to have a, a quite high brand awareness, but even more important, brand preference. Do people prefer your brand versus others? And do they even consider your brand? That's about brand consideration. These are some really critical metrics. 
And of course, if you add your image to that and also start digging deeper into what do people really think about me versus what do I want them to think about me, then you can paint the picture of a thriving brand or not. And of course, it's all about sales. We can't forget that. The sales of your products, your services, your solutions. If this goes along with the thriving brand, of course, you will be successful on your market. But coming back to what I also mentioned, a strong brand will protect you in tough times. It will mitigate the risk in case you have some negative events. I think it's also about finding the right balance and thinking long term. So don't make the mistake of just measuring short term. The ROI sometimes get in the way of thinking long term for a brand. And a thriving brand needs to have a long term strategy. The best and the strongest brands in the world, they've been here for a very long time and they constantly invest in their brands. So coming back to that question, it's a big question and we can probably talk for that for a long time. But I I do really think that it's important for anybody to understand that brand is an investment and it's a long-term investment. How do you make sure that you are actually shifting consumer sentiment when you go through a transformation? I don't think that you can be sure of anything before you have done it. But to get something to stick, one of the key elements would be to have something that makes you different. Either you have a brand promise that makes you different or you have a positioning that makes you different because that's how you stick in the minds of audiences. And we need to remember that brands live in the minds of a person. I can have a vision or a view of how I want to be perceived, but it's actually the customer who decides how they perceive me. So to make something stick, I need to know my customers. I think that's the starting point. Understand how they live, how they behave, their attitudes, what they like, what they don't like. And when I then create my brand strategy, I also need to understand those fine elements in people and we are all complex as humans so there's a lot of things that aligns us but there are also things that makes us different so to stick in the mind of a customer i think it goes back to understanding that customer and then draw your brand strategy from an area of courage on creativity making sure that you can do things a little bit different than your competitors because nobody wants a copycat. If you think of some great brands that have come up over the last years, they have often done something either slightly differently or they have been disruptors. They have done things completely differently. And that needs courage. And those brands often stick with us. Plus, I would like to say that brands that constantly delivers on their promise These can be brands we use every single day that we sometimes don't even think about. But when we go to the shop and let's say we buy our toothpaste or our milk or something that is quite daily and and often goes even unconsciously, these are our favorite brands that have stick with us often for many, many years. Sometimes they go from our parents to ourselves. So they stick because they deliver. They constantly deliver on their brand promise. So we like them because of that. So I think these are are two things for any brand marketeer to think of. Understanding customers, make sure you have a differentiating strategy, stick to it long term, and also make sure that you always, always deliver on your brand promise. 
You mentioned earlier that you're embarking on a program to attract a new segment of customers at Ericsson. What is the challenge ahead of you and how are you approaching it specifically? I think most businesses today constantly face the fact of entering new spaces or new territories because of new changes in the strategy or you want to attract, let's say, what we are looking at now at Ericsson, new audiences that we haven't worked with before. It is, of course, a challenge. You are more in the comfort zone when you have exactly the same customers as you have had and they know you. But I also think if you want to grow as a company, and we are on a growth journey, you need to look around and that growth probably incorporates attracting new audiences. How do you do that? And what is the challenge? Of course, you don't know them. So you need to get to know them. You need to understand them. You also need to have an offering that attracts them. So that means that you need to take a a proper look on your business offerings. Are they the right ones for this audience? Or do we need to develop new ones? Do we maybe need to buy some companies that already have those offerings? That's what we have actually done at Ericsson. And how do we make sure that we incorporate those companies and those offerings into the overall Ericsson? I think these are discussions that we have daily. How do we look at our company for the future? What should the growth journey look like? And what do we need to change? I think change Honestly, it's the only thing that happens constantly, and we just need to accept that. So curiosity is also, I think, a good thing to be curious. Okay, what's happening in this new segment? What do those audiences need, like, etc.? And how do we make sure that this can actually drive the growth and the development of our company for the future? These are, I think, essential uh, elements in order for you to again, go into a new space or an uncharted territory. I'm a big fan of market research, understanding the market, looking around, trying to connect different trends with what's happening in an industry. That is, for me, something that you have to do constantly. You also need to consider the big perspective. To change a big company like Ericsson, for example, it's like a big tanker. You need speedboats around you. And you also need to be a bit mindful that you can't change too quickly. You want to have people with you and on board on the growth journey. So that means also preparing for what do we need to do as a company? How do we address this within our culture? How do we make sure that We can thrive in this new business environment and also learn as much as possible when you go into this new space. I assume most companies is actually having those type of discussions because there's so many industries that are actually merging into each other. And also in this complex world, disruptors can come into your industry very, very quickly. Even if you didn't think big changes would happen, they can Telecommunication is a a very fast-paced business, I would say, with also some very traditional elements. So you need to be on your toes, definitely. I talked about the research expectations, but I also think coming back to the discussion we had around strategy and also how do you make sure that you thrive, that comes to metrics. So you know that when we've been on this journey and done all those different activities and we implemented the strategy, How do we know when we are successful? Those metrics have to be set up front and also they need to be constantly measured. I've worked a lot with startups and scale-ups and there you have this terminology, fail fast. 
And I think when you fail fast, you need to add and learn from it. And that goes for big corporations as well. You need to have the courage to, to kind of do things without knowing everything beforehand, but to learn from it and then be brave enough to take maybe a slightly different direction in case things doesn't really go your way. And also be humble that entering new territories, you don't know everything beforehand. You sometimes need to test things and then learn from it and then go ahead. I think the difference between small uh, companies and big corporations are that you have less room for experimentation in a big corporation. There's more of rules, whereas in smaller, more agile companies, you actually have more freedom in let's try. And if it doesn't go our way, let's change because it's a smaller scale business, but it's equally important. You mentioned two things in the last couple of minutes that I just want to pick up on. First of all, you've talked about the disruptors coming into the industry and being able to respond to disruption and the disruptors that are coming in and capturing market share. But a little bit earlier on, you also talked about, you know, the fact that we still buy the same toothpaste after a decade, and it's probably the same toothpaste that our families have been using for 30 years. How do you strike that balance between strong brands that continue to be part of our lives for many, many generations for years and these relatively new disruptors that are coming in, but we don't know that they maybe have the same longevity that those bigger brands have. So we don't necessarily want to have a knee-jerk reaction to the disruptors coming into the industry. Yes, they might have a powerful marketing campaign. Yes, they might be capturing early market share, but how can you tell which ones are going to be hanging around and the ones that are really a threat to your brand and one that really triggers you to need to transform your own brand? And when they're just ones that are kind of flash in the pan, might be here for a couple of years and then we'll, we'll fade out. When I meet with my students, I teach at different communication schools. We actually talk about exactly this. How do you know beforehand? How do you kind of recognize somebody that will be successful versus somebody who won't, a new brand, for example. And it's not that easy, but some of the things that I learned and that I also talk about, not only to students, but also when I meet leadership teams, etc. it's never become arrogant, never become complacent. Even if you are the market leader, you need to be on your toes. That means scanning the world around you, making sure that you're constantly kind of evolving your brand. You can't stay put. That's not going to work. You can stay put when it comes to your core, your brand essence and your offering. Specifically, it's a very successful one, but you still need to do small tweaks and make sure that you're always relevant. Because if you risk to become irrelevant, that's when danger looms. And if you look back at some of the cases, because there are a number of cases in the industry where you can see amazing strong brands that has been market leader for a long time suddenly lose their platform because there's a new company coming in and disrupt the entire industry. If you just look at Nokia versus Apple, for example, when Apple came with a smartphone, we still talk about that as an interesting case to follow. How could it happen? I mean, that's a case in itself, but it happened. And it has happened in, in many industries. Just look at Tesla and what happened to the automotive industry when they started to tell that they are going to come in and disrupt. I don't think many people thought they could. It was just a, a crazy entrepreneur coming in and saying, I want to electrify the automotive industry. But look where we are now. 
everyone is working in the same way and trying to do catch up. Those are cases of successful disruptors, and there are many others, but of course, they're also the opposite. So it's not that easy to tell, but if you are in a position where you are the market leader, be aware, be on your toes, scan the market, and also make sure you're always relevant and develop yourself. If you are the challenger, the potential disruptor, I think it's all, because I've been on that side as well, I think it's all about finding a gap in the market, finding a market leader that you see is starting to become a little bit tired or a bit arrogant, or is not really up to date with the industry or what's happening. Then you can actually attack on that market leader and you can quickly take a big market share because you have maybe a more relevant offering or you have a much more stickier and funnier marketing or you have something that makes you interesting in some way for the audience. Look at Dollar Shave Club, what they did to Gillette, for example, in the US. So many companies had tried to take on the racer market, which is a very profitable market, but it was difficult for them. And then you had Dollar Shave Club coming, a very tiny little company with a very tiny budget, but a very you know, courageous CEO, and just doing something that was a bit crazy, but also very creative, and that worked. But if you would have said that to people beforehand, I'm not sure they would have thought it would work. So it's it's not always easy to know. When you're small and unknown, you can afford to take the risk. You can afford to be courageous. For a company, huge multinational company that's been around for decades, their risk appetite is going to be different. So how can you be courageous in a controlled way? Yes, I, I think it's very much around courage. And I'm trying to emphasize that even when I work with big corporations. We talk a lot about that at Ericsson also, that courage is important Because if you don't have courage, if you always do the things in the way you have done before, you might have a risk of someone else coming in and become more courageous or take over your audiences. But I agree with you. It's it's hard to have the appetite because it's two different environments. However, I believe in creativity. So I always tend to think that strong creative ideas, courageous ideas can actually become successful even in big corporations. If you look at a company like Burger King, for example, some of the marketing they did a couple of years ago with a molded burger was amazingly creative. I can just imagine it was not that easy to get it through in their corporation, but you can with strong arguments, with maybe a very bold CMO and also a CEO that has the kind of go ahead from the board. So everyone is on board from the beginning and says, let's give it a go. Look at the risk, try to mitigate them as much as possible. You can be strongly awarded from doing that. And I'm a true believer in courage and creativity. I think it's a must in today's world. We're so overwhelmed with information and you know all those different sources trying to grab our attention. So if you want to stand out, You need to be courageous. You need to be creative. It's a must. I often think as a marketer, we get stuck in a rut of only looking at performance metrics as a way of working out if something is going to be performative or not. But really, sometimes that comes at the detriment of creativity. And there's often that conversation of, do we make something highly performative? Do we create a website? Do we create a brand? Do we create something that 
we know is going to convert or do we create something that makes people feel something strong because it's incredibly beautiful or it's incredibly courageous. It's a moldy burger. It's, it's, it's shocking. It, it's emotive in some way. I don't know if this is a strange correlation, but it's a bit like architecture. Hundreds of years ago, beauty, beautiful architecture. All of the buildings that were created were created with such incredible uh, flourishes and intricate details and carvings and all the rest of it. And now everything is just looks exactly the same because it works, because it's cost effective, because it's run and repeatable. That's a very relevant point. And I think it comes back to how we look at things. I'm also a true believer of storytelling. That's something that we started to work more and more with at Ericsson. And I've done that at all the companies I've been with. Because storytelling is something that actually goes back to our human brains. We love storytelling. We love to have emotional connections with stories and with brands. We like to feel that we can relate to something, finding something authentic and also honest. And storytelling is a great way to actually stand out and not be blunt or the same or using a mantra or a format that everyone else is doing. Storytelling can actually make sure that you stand out. And of course, you don't need to shock audiences, but I think you need to touch them and you need to get some emotional connection with them. One great example that I also use a lot when I am out speaking is, of course, Nike, who is a master in storytelling but also dare to take some risks with their brand because they know their brand so well. They have such a strong long-term brand strategy. So when they signed Colin Kaepernick and they were doing the first moves with him around, you know, be who you are and stand for it, that was, of course, very, very different, huge risk for them. But it was also tremendously successful. And they could also see that they attracted a very difficult young generation who are often suspicious of brands. They feel that brands are just trying to sell things. That's why performance marketing, of course, is good, but it's not only about selling. You need to understand that branding is about creating that strong relationship. I might not buy you and your products today, but if I have a very strong relationship with you, I will probably buy tomorrow or next year. So you can't measure everything with performance metrics or ROI. Part of it, absolutely yes, and you should do. But you also need to take the stand that branding is long-term. It's an investment in relationships. So from that point of view, emotions is absolutely critical because that's how we build relationships, both with people as well as with brands. In your view, then, let's carry on on that track just to round things up. Let's keep talking about some of the pitfalls that companies make when it comes to a brand transformation. How can brands make sure that they're avoiding those key pitfalls, some of the ones that we've already mentioned? And what are the most important considerations they should be taking into account when they embark on a transformation? What are your key takeaways for people listening to this? What should they leave thinking about going forward? I think definitely avoid painting lipstick on a gorilla, as we sometimes say. That means you do a brand transformation that is only on the outside. It looks good, but there's nothing inside. People will quickly discover that and they will also feel that you are not honest and authentic. So that is definitely one area when I've seen things go wrong and what you should try to avoid as much as you can. A pitfall is often resources. And also lack of understanding of what is needed to do a transformation, a real transformation. 
Because if you want to do it in the real way, you need to add resources in terms of people, money, time, etc. And you also, coming back to what we discussed before, need to have a very clear view on what do we want? Why do we want it? Where are we going? What's the vision here? And then be serious with your transformation. So I think when I've seen things goes wrong, that's often the things that has been missing, not truly understanding what it takes to do a big transformation and not truly understanding that you actually need to change for real. So the change is not just what you see on the outside. The change might have to be with the culture, for example. It might have to be new people coming into the company to shake things up might have to be new offerings, new product solutions, like we talked about before. Maybe you need to do acquisitions. Maybe you need to do a complete rebranding. And then with new values, you might have to leave something behind. And that's painful, both for the company and for people who's been with the company for a long time. But that is what change is about. Otherwise, it's just a visual change. It's not a real change. So those are some things that definitely need to be considered. We also talked about connecting all the dots. You can't just change in one area and do it perfectly if you don't change in all the other areas because customer needs to be kind of of met with the same brand experience and the same brand everywhere. Otherwise, it's not a real transformation. What are your key takeaway points for those who've been listening today? I love that question because here I can actually repeat some of my mantras that my team hear me saying more or less every day. The first would probably be brand is the greatest asset of any company. I think that's a really strong statement that I would like to leave with the listeners. Any company needs to take an investment approach to their brand. It's not a cost. It is an investment. You need to get your leadership team and board to understand this. And brand should be on the agenda for them all the time. That's important. Number two, I would probably say that you need to have a long-term strategy for your brand. We talked about that in the beginning, and that long-term strategy has to be completely aligned with the business strategy because those two goes hand in hand. The brand should steer your internal and external activities, and we also discuss metrics. Metrics is important, but not only performance KPIs and ROIs, that's part of it. But you need to have much more long-term metrics because branding is a long-term strategy and investment. In addition, I often talk about branding driver's seat and I really mean it. You should put your branding driver's seat. You should also try to aim for a brand-led organization or at least a more brand-led organization because that will help you. When everyone feels responsible for the brand, when everyone understands their brand ambassador, they would help the brand or the marketing team to also build that brand. So branding driver's seat, more brand-led organization, definitely something I would recommend. Brand is a promise. You need to keep it essential. And then finally, a point that we have also touched upon, consistency, consistency, critical, courage and creativity, absolutely core if you want to build a strong brand. So those three C's, consistency, courage, creativity, that's the final point for me. You mentioned at the start of the conversation that you're also a coach. What comes next for you then? What do you see on the horizon? Next year, I have some new plans in my mind. And one of them actually involves coaching 
this is something I'm very passionate about. So I will work even more with leadership development and coaching across the world. I will also spend more time in other regions. At the moment, I'm based in Stockholm. But for next year, I'm going to spend more time in the Middle East and Africa and do programs and projects from there. Also going to work more as a board professional. That's something I truly enjoy, specifically being on journeys with companies. So I'm about to sign now a new company that I've been following for three years. I was the mentor of one of the founders and I've been asked to join their board. And I can see that this can become a unicorn company within some years. And to have the opportunity to be part of such exciting journeys, that is also something that I really appreciate. So these are some of the things that I will focus on for next year. I'm fortunate enough to work with my passions, building brands, helping people to thrive as well. So I will continue on that route. It's such a huge pleasure having you, Rosie. Thank you so much for talking to us about all of your experience and all of your views on the importance of brand transformations and how to do it right and the things that you need to think about. It's been a fascinating conversation. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tissy. It was my pleasure to be here and I wish all your listeners and yourself best of luck. Lovely conversation. You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Valtec Cafe. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at valtec.com for all the details. Until next time, thanks for listening.